Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. While everyone is kind of halfway listening to me, uh, let me encourage you. Um, oh, by the way, the Habers, uh, let's see, Katie is going to be announcing the lineup card. Betsy, I always, <laughs> Betsy, I've been to do that for 10 years. Betsy's going to uh, announce the lineup card for the Tigers, and Daniel is going to throw out the first pitch today. So, what I'm prophesying is that this is going to kick off a 10-game winning streak for the Tigers, okay? Don't stone me if that doesn't prove to bear out, but uh, looking forward to seeing that video. Love you guys, and have a great time. Um, let me invite you to try and take uh, Pastor Cleet out and, and maybe Ruth for a meal or something, and just hear about the trip. There's a lot that he experienced. Uh, if you want to go see the Bible Lens, you can go to a sandbox, you see all that. Um, but there's a lot more to it that he shared. So if you have a chance, do that. I see a few new faces. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. We just walk through the Word of God weekly. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 4. And let me pray for God's presence, power, and spirit as we get into his Word. Father... Uh, we just take a few, uh, few moments now to still our hearts in the midst of a barrage and a cacophony of voices coming to us with all kinds of philosophies and ideologies and lies. Um, and sometimes we become dull of hearing, and that's why this book of Proverbs is so good. May the words, hear my son, your father's instruction be emblazoned upon our hearts and the passion of our souls. There's so much destruction we experience in life we would not experience if we listened. And the stuff that we will inevitably face living in a fallen world, um, the impact would be diminished quite a bit if we were to listen to you. We, we come understanding that sometimes we are the scoffer. We are the fool. Certainly the simple and the naive. So we come, and, and Lord, we know that the only qualification for coming is owning our disqualification. And we appeal to the mercy and the merits of Christ who paid the full price for us on the cross. We thank you that in receiving him, we receive the spirit who gave the word so that we can understand it. So Father, I'm praying that you would work in our hearts for your glory and for our good. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you locked your car doors when you got out of the car and came into this building this morning? Probably most everybody. Maybe some people even use the club or use a club at times. How many people locked the uh, doors to their house? And if you're thinking you forgot, you're probably going to run out of here to lock it, right? Maybe some of you even armed a security system. I'm pretty sure most of us are quite careful about our social security number, uh, bank account information, credit card information, all the rest. Why? The point is this. We guard things that have value, do we not? That's why as a married person, you guard your relationship with your spouse. You, you guard your children. Uh, you guard your health, or sometimes we guard our health and all the rest. So we, it's not a bad thing to want to guard things of value. In fact, it's quite normal and it's healthy. But the scripture calls us, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, to guard something above all else without exception. 
As Pastor Nick just read, we're in, in, in Proverbs chapter 4. The proverb begins, this chapter, as all the other chapters have, with the father appealing to his son to listen to his instruction. In fact, he says, I want you to listen to me, son, in the same way that I listened to my dad and in the same way my dad listened to his dad. Which, by the way, is a reminder of the intergenerational aspect of discipleship. As I seek to disciple my kids, I'm actually discipling discipling my grandkids. And if I'm not discipling my kids, I'm actually not discipling my grandkids. There is an impact one way or another. Then in the rest of the chapter, he goes on to say stuff like, get wisdom above all things, prize wisdom, and a whole bunch of other stuff that he has said earlier and stuff that he expands upon. But for the purpose of what God has for us this morning, we're going to fast forward to verse 23. Because I believe verse 23 drops a payload, a bombshell of a truth on us. Look at verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 4. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You may have an NIV in front of you. It reads like this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. The condition of your heart before God determines the direction of your life on earth. The condition of your heart always determines the direction of your life. So I want to preach to you on this big idea, above all, guard your heart. We're going to take a real simple look at this. A what, a why, and a how. Y'all with me? So first of all, what is your heart? Biblically speaking, I think most of us would not think it's, you know, that, that organ that pumps blood throughout our body all day, every day to keep us alive. But we may reduce our heart to the idea of our emotions, you know, how we feel, our intuition. But biblically, our heart is much more than our feelings, emotions, and intuition. Somebody says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you answer that question, though, how about this? Guarding something or the command to guard something presupposes that the thing you're guarding has value. Else, why would you guard it, right? Well, you guard your house and your car and everything like that. And yet, this objector would say, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says what? Thank you, Warpeth. I love it when you and I do church together, right? <laughs> no, I love it. Thank you. I mean that. Just like Arpith said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So why would I want to guard that stinking thing, goes the objection. It's a good question. Um, I think it was, who was it? Uh, oh, man, systematic theologian. Wayne Grudem. Uh, reminds us in a really helpful uh, manner of scriptures that address that. He reminds us that when someone turns from their sin, they see, I'm a sinner. I deserve God's judgment. But in love, God put my judgment on his son on the cross who paid it in full and rose again from the dead. When someone repents of their sin and comes to Jesus as their Savior, 
you get what the scripture calls in one place a new heart, right? I'll rip out a, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In another, another place, it's called a renewed heart. And Grudem makes the point that sometimes that heart in the New Testament is spoken of in a positive fashion. For instance, Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God is poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. In Romans 6.17 it says, Paul says, but thanks be to God that you who were formerly slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 says that we're to draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So the Bible does speak favorably in some places of this new or renewed heart. Now, we still carry around a sin nature, right? We still have a fallen nature, and that's why it's probably not the best guidance to tell somebody, oh, I don't know, just follow your heart. Because the Bible also warns us in the New Testament about selfish ambition and vainglory in our hearts. James chapter 3. James chapter 4 says that we are to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts if you double-minded. See, that's why we actually need this passage. Because even as Christians, we have new and renewed hearts, they still need to be guarded. Now, back to the question, what is your heart, biblically? The word heart occurs between 700 and 750 times, depends how it's translated in your English Bible. 97 times in the book of Proverbs, the word heart appears. You've seen it quite a bit just through the first four chapters. And if you look at uh, the sum of those references, what you will discover is that there are four components to your heart as the Bible speaks of your heart. First of all, there is an intellectual component. Did you know that your heart thinks? In the Bible, the heart is described as pondering, considering, debating, reflecting. There is an intellectual component to, biblically, your heart. Second of all, there is certainly that emotional component in your heart. Your heart feels. It can feel what we see in the Bible. Anger, anxiety, lust despair, all kinds of feelings. You can feel hope, on the other hand, and, and confidence and joy. It has an emotional component. Third of all, your heart has a moral component. Sometimes it's described, as I just quoted from Hebrews, as a true heart, a holy heart, a gentle heart, but in other times it's called a defiled heart. And finally, your heart has a will. It's, it's volitional. It makes decisions. Wherever your heart goes, guess who else is going with your heart? You are. So because it has this intellectual component, it thinks, this emotional component, it feels, this moral component, and this volitional component, it decides, that alone should remind us, should show us why guarding your heart is so doggone important. It is the intellectual, emotional, moral, and volitional um, command center of your life. So that's what your heart is. Is that clear? Well, let's dive into this then. This is pretty obvious, but we'll expand upon it in this verse. Why should I guard this command center? 
Why should I guard my heart? Verse 23b, well, let me just read the whole verse. Keep your heart with all vigilance, or as the NIV puts it, guard your heart with all guarding, above all things, for or because from it flows the springs of life. You're like, what does that exactly mean? Well, literal Hebrew is the outgoings of your life. NIV says, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. Everything you do flows out of your heart. As I said by way of introduction, the condition of your heart determines what? I didn't say that clearly, did I? The condition of your heart before God determines the direction of your life on earth. The condition of your heart determines the direction of your life. Now, I think this is really important, really important, because as Christians, we have to have a biblical worldview, right? And that biblical worldview starts with what our biggest problem is. What determines the direction of your life is not what's out there. What determines the direction of your life ultimately is what is in here. Because people say, well, the reason someone ends up that way is because of outside variables. Now listen, do they have an impact on us? Yes or no? Yes, they do. But the reason they have such a significant impact is because of what's in here. So the ultimate determinant in the direction of our lives is not what is out there, but what's in here. If you want proof, listen to Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke 6.45. He said, for a good man, biblically speaking, right? The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. But a good one who is in Christ and seeking to walk out righteousness. For a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. But the evil man... Out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. And then this statement, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to hear else, what, what else Jesus said about this matter? Mark chapter 7, <clears throat> excuse me, you had, you had some of the Pharisees all mad because they weren't keeping their, all their extra, extra, extra kosher laws and, 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 and double scrubbing their hands ceremonially before eating. And, and Jesus says, listen, listen. You got it all wrong. It's not like what goes into a man, but what comes out of a person that defiles him from within the heart. And he goes on to list a whole bunch of stuff like sexual immorality, um, theft, murder, adultery, deceit, sensuality, coveting, wickedness, slander, envy, pride, foolishness. For those things come from without, from within a man, from a person's heart, and they are what defile. And that is why, that is why we have to be so aware that we've got a real enemy. Most 21st century Christians are not very supernatural in their thinking. In other words, we, we think materially. What I can see is all I'm up against. But the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness and high places. And 1 Peter 5.8 says we've got to be sober watchful for your adversary that means your enemy the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour so it's kind of like this you can either guard your heart or i'm sure he'd say hey don't worry about it i'll take up that task for you knowing that the condition of your heart 
determines the direction of your life. Well, I'm a believer. I can't be influenced that kind of way. Well, listen to this. Peter says to Ananias, Acts chapter 3 or 4, 4 maybe, he says, Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? That's a real deal. You know that? He comes in and he wants to exploit when we're not guarding our heart. No wonder then the Hebrew is so emphatic. Keep your heart with all vigilance. It could read like this. Above all, guard your heart. Guard your heart and keep on guarding your heart. Guard your heart with all guarding or even set a double guard is one translation. Doesn't that show how serious a task this is? You can, you can watch your life or you can wreck your life. You mean I need to guard my heart more than I, I guard my children? Yeah. Because how you guard your heart is going to determine how you guard your children, right? You mean I need to guard my heart more than I do my marriage relationship? Yes, yes. Because how you guard your heart will determine how you guard that marriage relationship and all of its beautiful ups and painful downs. And when we tend to think of guarding our heart, we kind of minimize the sins. We, maybe we think of like the, the big neon light sins, anger, lust, pride. But I wonder if maybe sometimes we give a pass on sins like fear. Not all fear is sin, but some fear is sin. Or an anxiety. Not all anxiety is sin, but some is, right? Or love of approval. Or maybe unforgiveness. Or maybe bitterness. Or maybe indifference. And there are people for whom those sins have overrun their hearts and therefore overrunning their lives. And maybe you would say then, therefore, well, some of these things kind of are smashing me right now. What do I do? Well, that leads to the third and final point. We've looked, first of all, at what the heart is. We've looked at, second of all, why we should guard our heart. Now, third of all, how do I even begin to do this? I want to go back about 350 years to a Puritan named John Flavel. I was listening to a message a few weeks ago and doing a whole bunch of study for this text, and he mentioned this, this preacher, uh, Keeping Your Heart. And I said, I think I've got that title from years ago. So I scoured my library, and there was an old book by John Flavel, not from 350 years ago, a reprint. But I dove into this book, and it was so helpful in how to keep your heart. He's really just doing an, a massive exposition of this text. And he uses the analogy of a musical instrument. We have a lot of musicians here. You'll identify with this, and even dum-dums like me, I think, can get this. This is older English, so I'll read it slowly. He says, quote, a gracious heart is like a musical instrument. Actually, his next quote is much harder to follow. This one's much easier. A gracious heart is like a musical instrument, which though it be exactly tuned, a small matter brings it out of tune again. Yay, Put it aside yet for a moment, and it will need a retuning, again, I'm, I'm transliterating, before another lesson can be played upon it. Now, musicians here, you know how easily uh, a musical instrument is set out of tune, right? Like if it's bumped, boom, you got to retune that thing. Even if you leave it in the same spot sometimes because of a change in humidity or change in temperature, it, it will mess up your instrument. 
That's why they say don't put a piano at home against an outside wall because of the t- changes in temperature. It can mess it up. His point is our hearts are just the same way. They're so easily set out of tune, are they not? Can't you go to bed with your heart in a good place and for some inexplicable reason you wake up and your heart's in a funky state, right? Like you don't even know why. Because they're like musical instruments. Flavel says that the greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God and the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. Do you know yourself enough to know when your heart is in tune with God and when your heart is not in tune with God. Do you know yourself enough? That's the first part of guarding your heart, knowing yourself. And when it is out of tune, it always needs to be retuned. Do you know how to do the retuning work? There is basically two aspects to this. There is a a defense and an offense. There's things that you need to run from, and there's things that you need to run to. There's things you need to guard yourself from and things you need to guard yourself with. It has been said, it's a common saying, and I don't think any of us would disagree, that your ears and your eyes are the gateway to your heart. It's no wonder then, as we expand upon this chapter just a little bit, this, 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 this message, by looking at verse 24, he says this, put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Now, at first reading, it reads like he's saying, hey, watch out, you know, um, what you say. And certainly he is saying, watch how you talk. But you could also read this as saying, watch out to what you listen to. It's probably a warning to the ears as well, like put away from you crooked speech and put away uh, devious talk far from you. And what we do know is that the, the book of Proverbs at large quite often sounds the warning of being careful about who and what you listen to. The point is, if it's verbal, you got to be vigilant. If there are words, you need to watch out. How about this? You ever notice how quickly a phrase from a movie or a song that may not be the healthiest, and it just comes right out of your mouth at some time. You say, well, you know, that didn't really mean anything. It went from my ears to my mouth. No. According to Jesus, it went to the command center. It went to your heart. Because Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whether, I don't know, it's, it's music or, or movies or social media, TikTok, lunchroom conversations, side conversations that if we were to accurately uh, describe them, gossip. (laughs) We need to be vigilant about verbal stuff, about words. He moves from the ears to the eyes in verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and and your gaze be straight before you. Why does he say that? Because there's stuff we don't need to look at. There's stuff that we don't need to see. Again, think of all that you would look at in the course of a week. Be vigilant about that. Be watchful. Then, in verses 26 and 27, he moves from our ears to our eyes to our feet. He says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away 
from evil. He goes from ears to eyes to people, and he has the audacity even to challenge to places to challenge the people we hang out with. Look at verse 24. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Watch out who you hang out with in a, in a sustained, kind of deep, intimate kind of way. You see the warnings that he's given? Eyes, ears, feet, and friends. If you let culture set the bar for what you expose yourself to, baby, you're not guarding your heart. You're gashing your heart. Well, Mike, are you saying that I should only listen to and watch and go to and hang with Christian people and places and all the rest? Am I saying that, do you think? No. What I am saying is we need to apply wisdom. There are some things that so cross the line, we are fools to open up our gateways to, lest that stuff makes it into our heart. There's some things that are just like that. Other things, I would say, maybe it's a matter of proportion. Imagine someone who ate nothing but fast food, ice cream, potato chips, Takis, uh, lemon heads, Twinkies, and stuff like that. And all they drank was pop, beer, and liquor. That's all. How healthy are they going to be? And then even if they said, whoa, 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 chill out, man. I have four carrot sticks a day. They're baby carrot sticks, but still they're carrot sticks. That carrot stick ain't going to do all that stuff, right? And do you get the point? If we're gorging on worldly stuff, four verses a day or four minutes of Scripture, probably the same Scripture, ain't going to undo what's happening in your soul. You are what you eat. So in line with this metaphor, there are things, yes, that you can watch and listen to and all the rest for, for relaxation, for entertainment. There are some things that so cross the line you ought not to. And other things, yes, but maybe more in a, a dessert kind of proportion, right? Not your main entree. It's a simple formula. Garbage in, garbage out. Good stuff in, growth out. And some of you aren't even doing guarding your heart 101. And we've, all do, we've all had seasons like that. It's not good. Now, I want to close out the first part of how to guard your, guard your heart, guarding from, with one, uh, one more um, reference to John Flavel. Really good quote. And then he describes this process. He said, it is the watchful heart that discovers and suppresses temptation before it comes to strength. And he lists, he has like eight steps in it, but I condense it to five for the sake of time and simplicity. There is the word object, there's the word provoking, there's the word appetite, and then wrestling, and then full bore engagement. And this is how he describes it. At first, an object is seen or heard, whether physically and, and literally intangibly or in your mind. You know how that works, right? There's an object there. And then... That object, whether seen literally or in our mind, provokes us. And that provoking comes in a thousand different ways. I wonder if she ever got married. I wonder if he's still married. 
Instead of saying, what possible good could come from this, the person checks, I don't know, Facebook or something like that. So there's the object, there's to provoking, and the provoking unchecked moves to deeper appetite. Yeah, I think I would like to do that. I think I do find that desirable. And then the fourth thing is there's some wrestling going on. And you go one of two directions. But often the justification emerges, well, it's really not that big a deal. No one's going to know. Just one time and boom, now you're at full engagement and you give your heart to that temptation. He goes on to say, all of this may be done in just a few moments for the debates of the soul, and that's what those are. You guys had debates of the soul every day, right? We all do. They're quick, and they're soon ended in one direction or another. When it comes this far, he says, Satan, remember, you have an adversary. Satan has displayed his colors on the walls of your fort. The imagery is uh, a military unit being so overrun by the other that the headquarters is pillaged and the enemy, victorious enemy, puts the flag up in your headquarters. That's what he's saying. That's what happens in our heart. He displays his colors on the walls of your fort or heart. But had the heart been guarded, it would never have come to this. The temptation would have been stopped in the first or second act where it could have been stopped quite easily. For it is in the motion of the soul tempted to sin as it is in the motion of a stone rolling down a hill. It's easily stopped at first, but as it rolls, it picks up steam, and it is far harder to stop. That's really depictive, isn't it? Therefore, it is of the greatest wisdom to guard the first motions of the heart. Your eyes, your ears, your feet, and where are you really hanging out in a sustained kind of way? Now, let's, let me end with what we're to guard with. <laughs> because the best defense is a really good offense. I would say this. What you're doing right now. What you're doing right now. What you're doing right now. Coming to church. I know the church isn't a time place, but I'm speaking in shortened form. Coming to worship service. And I have to tell you, my heart is so burdened about how cavalier people are about this matter. Eh, maybe this, or I got this, I got this, I got that. Now, I get it, you know. We got, you know, stuff comes up and we go on trips, and I'm not speaking against any of that. But when someone has a very indifferent approach to gathering with the saints, mark it down, they're very indifferent about guarding their hearts. Because gathering with the saints is one of the ways you guard your heart. Because we're getting a cacophony of voices as I prayed every week. And we come open, come here and we break open the smelling salts of truth, right? To awaken us from our stupor and our stupidity. I would say the word of God daily. Can you say the same thing all the time? Yes, I don't have anything new to say. If I do, get rid of me. Matthew 4.4 4, Going back to the food analogy, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's how he experienced victory when Satan tempted him in that context in the wilderness. Pastor Garrett Kell said this, one of the most dangerous things that Christian can do right now is neglect Bible reading. Thousands of voices are attempting to convince you how to think. 
Be certain you are being shaped. So how about more scripture, a little less social media? More Bible, less other books. More prayer, less blog post. David put it this way, Psalm 119, verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It says in Psalm 37 and verse 31 of the man of God, of the woman of God, the law of God is in their heart and their feet, their steps do not slip. Their steps, things he's talking about our feet, right? Don't slip. So the word of God, gathered worship, and then prayer. Flavel said this, that we need to make earnest supplication, old time word, earnest pleading, earnest crying out, and prayer for heart purifying and rectifying grace. Instead of sitting on our hands, we need to lift up our hands where sin hath defiled and disordered it. So he quotes Psalm 19, verse 12, cleanse me from my secret faults. That's a, that's a scary prayer to pray, by the way, because if he's going to cleanse you, he's going to reveal your secret faults to you. And maybe if we're not willing to see it, he's going to reveal it to others because he loves you and he loves me. He says this, Psalm, 60, Psalm 86, verse 11, unite my heart to fear your name. And to that I would add to what Flavel quoted, Psalm 62, verse 8, trust at him in all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart. And then I would add to that, after prayer and the word of God and gathered, I would say proclamation. Something about sharing the gospel. I'm not trying to put people on a guilt trip, but it is hard to be passive about your walk with God when you're seeking to share Jesus with others. Well, for one thing, when you go out, if you've been out to the supermarket and done the witnessing there or just in everyday life, <clears throat> your heart swells with joy and affection for the Lord. Last night I just heard you know, another salvation testimony, and it was, your heart just rises to that, right? And your heart breaks over people when they're in darkness and, and they're rejecting. Uh, sometimes, though, the Lord will slap you upside your head. The last time we had our outreach, I did not go out spiritually prepared. Came off vacation. It was a great vacation, but I came quite uh, passive about um, really persistent prayer and, and Bible reading. And, and I, didn't, I didn't feel the presence and power of God. I'm not going on feelings, but that's just where it was. And I was convicted, like, Lord, I really need to walk closely with you to have impact on others. That's what that does. And then there's just things that stir your heart for God. you got to know your own heart. For some people, it might be sitting down reading a systematic theology. For other people, it might be gardening or sitting up in a deer stand mid-fall. There's tons of places you know how your heart, what, what kind of gives you a sense of the closeness of God as you dwell on him and his word. But in all of those things, in all of those things, the, the heart of it is seeking communion with Christ. He's, he's a living Savior, right? We're not, just, we're not worshiping precepts. We're worshiping a person. And I love what Ray Ortland said. He said, this is so true. Even when we see the stupidity of our sin, like, yeah, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't think that. I should, whatever. Even when we see the stupidity of our sin and how empty that sin leaves us and how sad it makes us, that realization alone does not change us. Because I, I, I would believe there's some people who know that there's some wrong things going on in their life right now, and they don't give a rip. They do, but they don't. There's no power to overcome that. He goes on to say, 
We start changing when we freshly see Jesus Christ. So that's why we, that's why we talk to him. That's why we sing to him. That's why we speak to him. That's why we commune with him and we go to him and we trust him and we repent to him and we cry before him and all the rest. And this, this hard work is hard work. It is. It, it ain't for those who don't want to get some blood, sweat, tears, and, and blisters. This is not one and done stuff. You, you can get some book off Christian bookstores, say, pray this prayer, pray the prayer of Jabez, Jabez, and you'll never have a struggle again in your life or whatever. That's just not how the walk works. It's not one and done. It's daily because our hearts are like musical instruments. They get out of tune. Need to be tuned. There'll never be a day this side of glory when your heart won't need to be tuned. Never. 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 It takes time, effort, blood, sweat, tears, and all the rest. And it's all rooted in the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us sons and daughters so that we can keep on coming back to the Father. The condition of your heart determines the direction of your life. Now, I'll end with something really cool and encouraging as the music team comes. I don't know everybody's life situation here. And even if I know you, I don't know everything about you. I don't know everything that's going on in your heart and life. But wherever you are, you can get in on Proverbs 4.23. Anybody here can get in on it. Anybody. There's no age requirement. It's not like in the, in, in the small Hebrew uh, print, um, only if you're 16 above. Only if you have your driver's permit. Only if you have a PhD, no education requirement or, or, uh, or a bachelor's or at least have a GED or you're not getting in on this. No. No age requirement. <laughs> there's no requirement at all. There, there's, no, there's no background disqualification that says, well, because you did this, you can't get in on this. None. He takes the simple. Is that you? He takes the naive. Is that you? He takes scoffers. That's sometimes us. He takes fools. That can be us. He takes scoffers who say, I'm done with my scoffing. He takes fools who say, I'm done with my foolishness. I sent, I sent an email, and I am wrapping this up, because I said this has really been heavy on my heart, this message. Because I know people who've, who've, who've experienced adultery. I know experience who people have committed apostasy. That, that, that one time raised their hands here, right? At one time. And this is what I wrote. In case you didn't read it, you can hear it. And if you did, you can hear it again. Adultery, apostasy, suicide, shipwreck, and more. We all know people who have succumbed to these things. Not infrequently, these are people you may have least expected to do such things. And while I would not pretend to know all the particulars that led to such heartbreaking events, I just want to say that, I do know that such tragedies can be avoided by the bombshell truth we will look at this Sunday, Proverbs 4.23. And it's not just these big ticket calamities that could be prevented, but also all the low-grade things that unchecked Give birth to them. Things like gossip, deceit, bitterness, lust, unforgiveness, indifference, lack of concern for the lost, fear of man, lack of active love for others, self-dependence, selfishness, and we know the list could go on and on and on. If there's a single verse 
that crystallizes how to avoid carnage and far more than that and embrace faithfulness and fruitfulness. It's Proverbs 4.23. You might say, avoid carnage? You gotta be kidding me, man. I've experienced it. Yeah, I know a little bit about that myself. You know that. But what breaks your heart does not have to destroy your life if you, above all, guard your heart with all vigilance. Is your heart in tune with God? Have you surrendered to Jesus Christ? Maybe you're like, I've just never really surrendered to Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your hearts. And if you do know Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make this a watershed moment that maybe has been a long time in coming. If you'll flip over your handouts, there, there's a little prayer of consecration that's been on my heart this week, this last week, and I threw it in here. Probably got some typos, but the sense of it I would hold to. I'll read it. Lord, today I draw a line in the sand and resolve to, above all else, guard my heart. I do so knowing that the condition of my heart will determine the direction of my life. In reliance upon the Holy Spirit, I commit to the hard work of intentionally and daily guarding my heart above all else. I welcome the encouragement and accountability of others as we together, by the grace of God, guard our hearts above all else. I invite you to, to reflect on that prayer. I invite you to pray that prayer from the heart. Maybe right now, maybe as we're singing, maybe later, this lands a little bit more. I, I don't know. But I invite you to do that. And I invite you to let somebody else know that you did that. You, you did see that line. I welcome the encouragement and accountability that others will give me as we together, by the grace of God, guard our hearts above all else. Father, I pray that your spirit would storm these hearts and give us a commitment that we have never had to guard it above all else, in whatever season of life we find ourselves in. Not just that calamities could be avoided, such as the ones I mentioned, but that we could experience far greater fruitfulness and intimacy and joy as we walk closely with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.